I just didn't understand why connecting the best freelancers to great companies couldn't be frictionless. That's Shib Matthew, founder of the elite freelancer platform, You Know Juno. They've built a reputation of disrupting traditional recruitment and bridging the gap between hirer and freelancer. Since day one, our goal at Unojuno has been to address every frustration we had as either freelancers or hirers. From direct and transparent communication, to taking the stress out of getting paid on time, to being properly recognised for great work. Today, Unojuno is now the world's largest marketplace of premium creative and tech talent. Last year we reached half a billion pounds in freelancer bookings, and we still feel like we're just beginning. If you would like to know more about Uno Juno, their views on the future of work being freelance and what they can do for you, head on over to unojuno.com. Welcome back to Where Did It All Go Right, the podcast where we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their careers. If you're a new listener, it's lovely to have you here and thanks for finding us. If you've been with us from the beginning, well, you're amazing. And I hope you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having. Hopefully they've inspired and entertained you. This week's guest is Dina Litovsky. Dina is a Ukrainian-born photographer who has lived in New York since 1991. Her work explores the idea of leisure, often focusing on subcultures and social gatherings. So we talked about how she got to do the job she loves. Dina, thank you so much for taking the time to um, to talk to me today. And I know that you've said in the past that your identity is quite confusing. It's quite a fuzzy concept because you, you were born in Ukraine, but then you came to the States. You lived there half your life. Your husband's Russian. And having watched the news today and what's been going on in Ukraine, it must be terrible watching and hearing all those stories. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely, you know, harrowing. And in the beginning, it was a, just a shock. And I think it was it was just surreal. And we almost couldn't believe this is actually happening. And now, you know, that first initial shock is gone and you're almost settling into the horror of it, which is even even worse in a way. But like you have to just continue from over here, you know, to continue working and somehow continue living your daily life. And that's, I think, the hardest part. There is definitely like a sort of a survivor, survivor's guilt, even though I'm not really a survivor sure. in any way. But, you know, that's, yeah. And I guess you're in touch with friends and family there and they're trying to stay connected, but that must be difficult too. Yeah, my my, my brother isn't still, is in Ukraine, um, is in Donetsk region. So obviously we're, you know, we're in touch over text, but yeah, it's trying to check in as much as I can without, you know, not much can be done from here. And I guess, though, from a photographer point of view, watching the news today and they were showing new images of what's been going on and because it's so difficult in this time with fake news and what's real and, and what's not real. But how important do you think cultural documentary photography is at this time to, to show what's going on? I mean, it's, you know, as important as it ever was, you know, it's super important for, you know, for us to see the images. It's... Um... I mean, you see, we're seeing heroin images coming out of that. And I feel like, you know, each picture is, you know, it's more disturbing to see than watching any news report or hear it's, they're really hard to see the images that are coming out. Maybe for me, the hardest images to look at that I've ever seen because it feels personal. And I mean, I've looked at war images before, but they did seem more removed. So of course, you know, this one is particularly, I, I keep using the word heroin. That's all the one that comes to mind. And for you living in New York, which is, it must feel so discombobulating, but New York for you, I guess, is home now. And 
when you arrived there a long time ago now really was it was it strange and exciting turning up in a new city when you live somewhere which is completely different um so uh, when i was 11 it was a i really didn't like coming here i liked my life in ukraine but i was a teenager so i was you know taken out from my school and my friends so i hated coming here <laughs> I was crying for a month, um, oh. but you know, I was, I was like a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> so you hated your parents for bringing you to the yeah. States, but you kind of forgiven them now. I forgave them a long time ago. <laughs> where, yeah, where are you? <laughs> and and um, I guess as well, yes, New York is so exciting though for an 11 year old. There must've been, you know, after a month, you suddenly like, well, hang on these, there's some cool places to come. And, and, and was it the sights and the sounds that inspired your love of photography that early on? I know your parents gave you a, a camera. Uh, no, my photography had not, no, I did not do any photography when I was growing up. Um, the first thing I liked about America was cereal and milk. We didn't have it in, <laughs> in Ukraine. Um, so that was a revelation that you can have cereal and milk and white bread. Um, photography did not come until much, much later after I graduated from college. So like, I think I was 22 or 23. Um, so I've never taken a single picture really before. That's incredible. Whereas, you know, now with the use of smartphones, you probably would have been experimenting all the time. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but doing a psychology degree, uh, I'm fascinated how you, you move from that to photography. But what is it about humans that that fascinate you so much? Um, I think it's just I, I grew up with um, kind of having, I would say, social phobia. Um, and so I was very much afraid of people and I wasn't very much participating in social life, even though I wanted to. So I feel like that's really, really where my interest in behavior is coming from. Like I wanted to get closer and that was the only way I could find how. Uh, first through psychology, just researching human behavior and then through photography. But I think it's really just based on overcoming that fear that I've had all through my teenage years. And you can almost hide behind a camera, can't you? If you're in a social situation, I, I know someone who doesn't like going to things like weddings and stuff. And they, if they are behind the camera, they don't have to socialize and talk to people. They can just be the person behind the scenes. Oh yeah, you can totally hide behind the camera. I mean, I have a huge camera, it's like the size of my head, so I can completely hide behind it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I realized very early on that when people see a camera, they don't see me, they see their own reflection. And they're pretty much the concept of how they look like and how they present, present themselves is the only thing that really matters. So I become invisible pretty much. Um, and that was very freeing. Yeah. But I'm, what I'm interested in is, I guess, your route from deciding to do photography and getting a job doing it full time, your whole thing. I know you did wedding photography, which to me, I imagine, is highly stressful because you get <laughs> bridezillas. It's their big day. And they're like, get this right or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I guess I've had really good clients. Yeah. And I also have done weddings when I was very... I was not when I was... I just started out with photography. So weddings were really how I got into photography. It was really like my first professional job and I've done them for over a decade, really. And I mean, in the beginning, I used to love weddings because it was the first time that I really was paid for my photography. So that felt really exciting. Um, I got to travel a lot. I got a lot of destination weddings, like went to Greece and Mexico. And just, you know, it was really fun getting out of college and thinking I'm going to be stuck at some, you know, I was going to go to med school. So I was going to have no life of my own and now I'm traveling around 
having a lot of free food, you know, and, and photographing. So that was really fun. And I didn't really have any bad experiences um, with weddings. I really quit eventually because that was kind of a dead end. And I'm like, okay, now what else is there? Mm. So I decided to go to school for photography. And eventually I stopped doing them. But I don't think I had one single, like, really horrible bridal experience. <laughs> so I'm interested in how you managed to pivot almost to to do what you're doing now and working for New York Times, National Geographic. How did you get those first gigs, building up a portfolio? I mean, we're talking about a process that probably took a whole decade. You know, there was no like one big break. It was just a couple, you know, a few small breaks. But I mean, going to school, getting my MFA was definitely kind of the beginning of that career. And then when I got out, I just continued doing personal work um, and going to portfolio reviews and just you know, submitting contests, just, you know, going by the photography book, just doing everything I could to get exposure. Mm-hmm. And it was before Instagram. So, you know, in a way it's kind of easier now, but then you had to go to portfolio reviews and you had to meet people face to face, you know, pluses and minuses. So it, it took a long time for me to get my first gigs. And then it's kind of started going from there. And being a freelancer is just tricky anyway, because you're sort of every new job is, is, is hopefully more work and more food on the table. But did you sort of juggle and have to do other jobs as well? No, not really, because I mean, I was still doing weddings. So I mean, I was doing photography. So yes, I was uh, putting myself through school doing weddings. I only stopped doing weddings like maybe six years ago. So yeah, I was doing that on the side. But it was I didn't do anything outside of photography. I I guess also for some people, photography might be a little bit off putting because the kit, you have to buy the camera. and, And for somebody who you know, hasn't got a huge amount of money to start with. Have you got any advice on how to, to start out if you're intimidated by the cost of it all? iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy now. <laughs> um, you can, I mean, you can photograph with the cheapest camera. You don't need to have expensive equipment. I sometimes, I mean, I photograph with iPhones. I have done like magazine covers with iPhones. Really? Um, so, yeah. It, it, you know, they're, they're, right now the technology has is so much better than it was even 10 years ago uh, for consumer level. Then, you know, if you don't have a couple of thousand and you have an iPhone, you're, you're, you're golden. That's amazing. And, and also, if your camera, if you have an expensive camera and it fails for whatever reason, you've always got your backup, haven't you? You've got your phone. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to me, it's always about, like, if I'm in an assignment, if, if my camera would fail, I would use an iPhone and not even feel bad about it. Uh, I'm interested in what you what you work on. You're interested in, in subcultures. And I wondered which project, because I know you've done Fashion Week, Bachelorette parties, so many. What, which one has stayed with you the most? I guess all of them in a way. I mean, to me, once I, I research, a, I reach a subculture when I'm interested in them, I don't know enough and I want to know more. Mm-hmm. And so usually I do an immense amount of research when I photograph and I mean, photographing is part of the research itself. And then once I learn what I wanted to learn, it's, I kind of leave that behind. So in a way they've all stayed and I've all became very familiar with them. And they're all kind of unique and special to me in their own ways. I love that picture. There's a picture that are in the fashion project that you did with the, the rows of everyone watching uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for detail and I loved watching everyone's faces and who was in the crowd but also you see things that other people don't see because there was pictures of the model's feet and the horrendous blisters and it's just it's just you feel like you're there yourself even though you're not and I wonder with a bachelorette party for something like that I don't know that sort of thing just terrifies me I think if I was about to get married I'd be like the pressure you must get really involved in the subjects and, and the people that you meet well, the bachelorette party, you know, I also, I didn't really have one when I got married and that's exactly why I got interested in them um, because, you know, uh, they really have almost like a bad rap, you know, like people think women getting drunk and behaving foolishly and all the movies make fun of the bachelorette parties. And then I'm like, okay, it can be 
that cannot be all there is. Everybody's doing it. And I also was myself feeling prejudiced against it. That's why I didn't have one. And I, after my wedding, I decided to actually find out what, what is a bachelorette party? Why are women doing this? What about it? And what I found out was so different what I expected that, you know, the bachelorette parties reinforce friendships and kind of, it's kind of this women's get out of jail card when they can just leave behind their, you know, the kids maybe at home or their, their husbands and just go and party with their girlfriends with impunity. And there was something very freeing um, about this ritual, which I did not expect before I started photographing it. And why do you de- mainly photograph women? It does seem to be a lot of women focus. Is, is it just something that you're really interested in? I mean, just, I guess, a personal self-reflection. I'm interested in subject. I think every everybody every photographer photographs some, themselves in a way, and that's my way of exploring, kind of you know my journey as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so any subjects that are that interest me, that maybe you know like bachelorette parties, I was too afraid to have one on my own, so I ended up photographing it. And, and you're you talked about smartphones, and you did that project, uh, untagged the photo, and I you know I've got two nearly twelve year olds who are obsessed with their phones and are always posing in front of them, and. I, you know, I'm not sure how I how I feel about it. What about you? Do you, do you think we we're too dependent on it, or for you, is it something to celebrate? It could be both. Um, you know, any tool can be used as a tool. It can be over abused. I mean, yeah, like any, any technology, you can go too far with it. And I think we're, it's still kind of these are new technologies. We're still learning really how to use them and how to live with them. Um, and I think we are evolving in how we use them. So of course, there have been some excesses, and there's always some excesses with social media, with iPhones, but. It, think eventually and essentially they are a good thing um again we just need to know how to harness them for the for the benefit well it'll be really interesting when it looking back maybe in 10 20 years time either we will have gone even more so or we'll just be like smartphones no 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 we're not using those anymore it will that'll be be fascinating that's another idea for for a project and i'm interested about your projects because and your ideas because i'm glad to hear that you love radiohead you know, they live <laughs> down the road from me they're often in the pub <laughs> in oxford um and, and music really inspires you. Do you listen to music all the time while you're working? Yeah, nonstop. I usually yeah. get about two hours a day to just listen to music focused without even working. What are you listening to at the moment? Nick Cave. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been to his concert, which was the best concert I've been to other than Radiohead. So. Oh, wow. And and <laughs> have you photographed any of Radiohead or Nick Cave? No, I mean, I don't photo. I see it's different. I get inspired by music, but it's not like I think photographing a musician is what I'm looking for. Um, I think I'm too much of a groupie to photograph a musician. <laughs> I'm bad at photographing subjects that I feel more coolly about. Um, yeah, that's, I've never done that. Um, kind of keeping music separate from my own personal enjoyment. Sure. I mean, you um, you photographed uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And for me, I would be, well, my producer was asking, what was that like? But I think I, I, I agree. I, what, what was that like? Because I think I wouldn't be able to concentrate very easily. Yeah, you see, um, it's not like I'm not a fan, but I'm very cool. Like I mostly <laughs> actors, I'm I don't know a single actor that I would lose my head over. It's only the musicians. Like when I saw Paul McCartney, I almost fainted. Um, but with actors, I am just I photographed a few actors. You know, I respect them, but I'm 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 professional and I you know I do a shoot. Um, I don't feel faint in the least. But you know, if you put me next to Tommy York, I probably wouldn't be able to pick up a camera and click a picture. Uh, that's why I'm staying away from musicians. Well, he's he's a member of our gym. He's often seen in the changing rooms. You'd be you'd be you'd be wouldn't be able to speak, would you? 
<laughs> no, now you're just taunting me. <laughs> <laughs> but surely if the offer came through and they said, look, we'd like you to photograph him. Or, oh, of course. <laughs> you, or Paul McCartney, you're not going to say no, are you? Oh, of course I'm not going to say no. I'm going to, you know. Um, we'll have to take a shot of like tequila before, but no, of course not. <laughs> so how do you, how, what makes a great portrait? I'm still looking for that answer myself. Um, I don't think I have a defined answer. I'm really just always experimenting um, how to get people relaxed. Again, something that I'm always struggling and experimenting with. I don't think there is a sure proof way. You know, each person has to be treated individually. Mm-hmm. I try to just read the person um, when I see them, see their just the vibe, their, you know, how they hold themselves and see the best approach. Some people want to like when you talk a lot and make jokes and some people want, you know, you could see that they're not comfortable being accosted by words. So I'm just very quiet, um, which is I'm more comfortable being quieter. <laughs> you talk about music. Do you play music? Um, you know, I try that, but sometimes you pick the wrong music and it backfires. So I feel like playing music is only when a person asks and you ask them what kind of music that they like, uh, because I've had it backfire because then I play. Yeah, yeah. That's, that can be tricky. Yeah, really tricky. And, you know, the last couple of years have been tough. We, we're in new challenges with, with what's going on in Ukraine, which we, we briefly touched upon at the beginning. But with the pandemic, I imagine like everyone else, you stopped traveling, you had to hustle, did, did work dry up for you a little bit? Um, it did in the beginning. It did in the first maybe months when... Um, when the pandemic happened and we were quarantined, yeah, my, my job before was I was just traveling maybe like twice a month for years and that all stopped and all the jobs dried out maybe March to April. Uh, but then I just, I rethought my practice and I started photographing Dark City, which then became a project, which was photographing silence in New York being quarantined. And then I started getting jobs again because I pivoted and now went into new directions. So away from shooting social scenes and parties and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then more into shooting, you know, the city and the atmosphere of quarantine. And in a way that kind of just gave me a whole new uh, direction in my career. And then I started getting jobs again, just the kind of jobs I would never get a year ago. Because I know that you did um, remote portrait photography. Now, for somebody yeah. who's got no clue about that, can you just explain how that works? Right. So that's another thing that I started during the pandemic. And because of the pandemic, obviously, um, People were not, like before I would be sent, you know, to some, to across, like, you know, the United States to shoot a portrait. And now everybody said that all the travel has dried up. So the portrait still needed to be photographed. Um, and basically remote photography is essentially quite simple. A person has to have an iPhone. The subject has an iPhone. They install an app. And I, from my computer, uh, log into their iPhone and log into their camera and take pictures. And I can, wow. and the pictures go to my, so it's basically just, the pictures go to my computer, they don't even see them. So it's a very streamlined and kind of simple process. Yeah. And the results speak for themselves. Yeah, it's an iPhone. So I, I mean, iPhones can do great things. So um, the results with the right, you know, lighting and it, they can, you, it's going to be hard to tell apart from regular camera. That's just incredible. Who knows where it's all going to go in, you know, in the future, if this is what we're doing now. So I'm interested in, in we call the podcast, where did it all go right? So the sort of pivotal moments in your career, the pandemic for you has actually been quite a big pivot, hasn't it? Because you've had to change the way you work. Yeah, completely. Um, again, but- I went away from social, you know, from social scenes, um, which I'm only coming back to now. And Started doing remote portraits, um, a lot of them. So yeah, it's, it's been a huge change. 
I know other people who've worked in creative work during the pandemic and it's time to think and change the way you work. But actually it, it's it's been great because we've had to force ourselves to do things differently, but it means that we can now do things differently like like you've just demonstrated. And if, if we look back on on your whole career and obviously a pivotal moment was when your parents gave you the camera and you moved away from from psychology but were there any other big turning points that made a difference to to what you're doing nothing that really comes to mind as a big turning point i mean there were a few times when you know you would win a, some prize which you know uh when i got the pd on 30 um on 30 photographers from it was it's basically the big 30 photographers pdn magazine it was a big photo magazine in the us and they would pick 30 photographers a year to kind of new directions and that was a big deal so i got selected and oh my god 2014 maybe and that was a very big deal i was i got a news on my birthday and it was just like you know one of those okay now i'm gonna be okay i can stop doing <laughs> weddings now that's um, an amazing feeling though because i was going to ask you whether um awards are important and that for you obviously was massive. Well, some awards are, as I learned, um, most of the awards actually are complete, just uh, trying to get your money as you know, you have to know which ones to submit. But that one was, uh, yeah, that was a good one. I think after that, I started getting jobs because at some point it was important. I think it's still important. Editors kind of look through this list every year to see, you know, what are the new voices in photography and you have to be an emerging photographer. So like less than five years. So it's always like new photographers coming in. So yeah, that was a big thing for me in 2014. Yeah. And and from there, extra work and the more work you get working for magazines, one thing leads to another, which you've, you've demonstrated, but also it's, it's that two hours listening to the music to get you in the, the inspirational zone, isn't it? And coming up with the new ideas and doing, doing something different, I guess. I mean, yeah, playtime is important, you know, it's not just work, work, work. Um, so, I mean, I enjoy, I think I enjoy music more than photography. I just have no musical talent. Um, so I'm kind of taking out my musical frustrations with photography. <laughs> Sounds a great combination. What advice would you give to anybody who's looking to to break into this? Because I've done a, a few careers fairs recently and talked about radio and broadcasting. And I think you know, mm -hmm. still, there's still a, a thing, isn't there? You know, if you maybe said to your parents, I want to be a photographer, and they're like, mm, could you maybe go and work in a bank? <laughs> I, I don't know how your parents felt about your career choices. Were they okay with it? No, not at all. Um, they hated it. Um, I, I don't know how they didn't disown me. I'm only half kidding. Um, no, I was going <laughs> to go to med school and, that, you know, and then I just tell them one day that I'm not going to med school. I already went through NYU and, you know, paid a lot of money for it. And... I said, I'm going to shoot weddings. So uh, it didn't go over well. Um, I think they were, they were really upset for many years up until I started working as a photographer. So we're talking about at least six, seven years that they were not happy. They've got over yeah. it now. I'm glad. They didn't have a choice <laughs> at some point. Yeah, eventually when you start, eventually, you know, everybody comes around. It just took a very long time. Uh, and I don't, I don't recommend that to anybody with parents. That was hard. Um, you know, anybody who chooses a creative profession, unless, unless they have a trust fund, <laughs> that's a reaction of the parents. But would you have, what advice would you have for somebody who's really passionate about it? And, you know, despite what parents might think, it's, it's pointing a camera at things, I guess, and just doing it. When you have to have enough, you know, for me, again, it wasn't, in a way, it wasn't even a choice when I discovered photography, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like it wasn't, a, I didn't feel like much of a choice. Um, I was scared, but like I had to do it. And I feel if you have that feeling, you have to follow that gut. Um, and I think you know when that feeling is really strong. Like that's the only thing that gives you joy. If that's how strongly you feel about it, I think anybody even has a choice in that. You know, you just you just make it happen. 
And you talk about a feeling in your gut. Do you know as well when you've taken a good photo? I do better now than before. I feel like gut is also something can be trained. So I think taking a good photo is also not something that just comes as an instinctual gut in the beginning. You train it and you train it. And now I know when I take a good photo, but not always. Everybody needs an editor. Um, Yeah, I'd say much more than 10 years ago, for sure, when I was just fumbling in the dark. So what's next for you? What projects have you got? More travel or are you sticking with the ways that you've been with during the pandemic and staying closer to home? Neither. I started writing. Ah. So um, I get, uh, even the method, I mean, I love photography, but there are times when I just get oversaturated and a little bored with my practice and I want to break out and start being a little less, you know, less me. And usually that means complete pivoting and doing something entirely different because with photography at, the, at some point I'm realizing I'm shooting the same thing over and over again. Um, and that, that got a little redundant. So I started writing and I've been writing for the last um, nine months. I've been doing like a newsletter about photography, but it's a completely different challenge and practice to actually think about photography um, in a ways that I haven't before. And is that leading on to more writing? Are you going to be, are we going to see your books? We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I just started. I just started. And right now it's just really fun to actually think about photography in a written in a written form, because at some point I couldn't even write a caption. I was so much into all, but we're visual photographers are visual people, you know, we don't mm. think in pictures, but that can be very limiting. And I think once you start thinking about images in a way that you can write about it, the thoughts become more pronounced and in a way more interesting. And I've been able to think through the pictures in a way that's very new for me. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, please don't stop the photography anytime soon, because I love the work that, you know, we've seen so far. And if Tom York comes calling, you're going to have to say yes, <laughs> aren't you? Yes, I'll, I'll, I won't have to think about it. <laughs> well, it's so um, fascinating hearing your story of how you got to do the job you love at the moment, but more is to come and, and writing as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much. Thank it was Thanks to Dina. And if you're interested in photography, we spoke to Daniela Zolkman in season four and artist Tom Croft in season one. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter for info on upcoming episodes at Where Go Right. And thanks to the very patient Megan Brownrigg for producing and Laura Shipsey for the music. <laughs>